0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with
0: the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Today I'm talking with Steve Boucher, President of in Incutel's mission is to invest in cutting-edge technologies to enhance the national security of the United States. It couldn't be a more uh, current topic than than today. Um, first off, Steve, welcome to Leaders and Legends. It's an honor to have you on the call.
1: Well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here, and I'm thrilled to be talking uh, to you today. And look forward to the conversation.
0: So, Steve. How would you describe your leadership style? You have a very unique job and a very unique part of the industry. How do you approach your leadership style?
1: So when I uh, interview people and they ask me what it's like to uh, work for me or work at in I tell them that uh, uh, I describe my management style, I guess in the following way, which is uh, uh, I try and be as transparent as possible with the organization about what our goals are. What are we trying to accomplish this year? and what are the metrics that we are gonna use to uh, uh, track and measure our progress against those goals. Uh, 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 Be as clear and transparent and as over communicative as possible about those. And then I trust the people that work for me to figure out on a day-to-day basis uh, what they should do each day to try and uh, uh, meet those metrics, accomplish those goals and uh, uh, help progress the organization uh, uh, to deliver the impact that we hope to deliver. I'm, I'm there to meet with them to help uh, them figure that out, but also at some point, in some ways, expect them to do it on their own. And where I think my next uh, role comes in is, I, I feel like uh, my next role is to be the problem solver, to be the person that, as they in, encounter obstacles to achieving what uh, they've set out to achieve. I'm the one that they should be calling on to sort of say, hey, I can't figure this out. Can you help me solve this problem? Whether it's, you know, uh, fight through a piece of bureaucracy that's blocking us within one of the government agencies to helping sell a company on why they should wanna work with us or why they should wanna take an investment uh, on on, on us. But in general, I I view uh, 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 one of the most important uh, roles as a leader is to be the problem solver for the people below you, such that they can accomplish the the goals and the metrics that you set out for them to accomplish.
0: Can you uh, define a a great leader and what are some of the traits that you think great leaders possess? I mean, have you? Is there a great leader that comes to mind?
1: I think a great leader is one that is clear and communicative uh, uh, to his organization, uh, empowers people to uh, understand their role and gives them the freedom to go out and achieve their role. Uh, uh, the leader is the, both the chief cheerleader for the organization, someone who is uh, responsible for uh, uh, celebrating success and helping people understand when they have achieved success, but most importantly, the, the leader is also the person that holds the rest of the organization accountable. And, uh, you know, I tell people sometimes I'm your best friend until I have to fire you because uh, 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 I'm, I'm going to be there working uh, as hard as I can to make you successful up until the point where I think you can't be successful anymore, uh, uh, in which case then, you know, we'll, we'll have to have a conversation about why you're not being successful and, and, and what that means. So I, I, think, I think the best leaders are the ones that uh, uh, create uh, uh, a story, if you will, uh, uh, for the rest of the organization about what it is the organization is trying to accomplish, uh, uh, is clear with the roles and responsibilities of each person to help achieve that, uh, uh, creates clear and transparent metrics uh, uh, for how they need to achieve uh, 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 that, and then is there to help them uh, be successful. But finally, and most importantly, is also there to hold them a- accountable for that.
0: So you meet yeah. a lot of variety of leaders um, in your role there at InQtel. And do you think that there's a different trait or a different type of of when you meet one of the CEOs of one of these innovative companies that you know you're you're want to invest and you know it can make a difference in our nation's security? Um, is there is there a specific uh, you know uh, you know trait or or approach that they possess?
1: Well, I, I, I think it's a great question. I, I think you also have to understand that the. You know, people that we're dealing with—those CEOs, those founders that you just described—they're uh, uh, also. They tend to be running companies that are small today and have big, bold aspirations for delivering impact and being successful tomorrow. And so, I think there's a couple of traits that are, are, are very uh, uh, common amongst them. One is uh, they need to be good storytellers. I think you, in order to create create a vision that you, will inspire people to come follow you when you are a small startup company. Uh, uh, and, and your prospects for success uh, uh, seem speculative. Uh, the ability to tell a story, the ability to inspire your employees to, to come join you, you know, uh, on your journey is, is incredibly important to uh, uh, a successful leader or entrepreneur. The Next thing you have to do is you have to be an optimist. You have to believe you can be succe- successful. There's plenty of businesses out there where the person running that business, these tend to be more mature businesses are people that are grinding the details or trying to figure out how to strip costs out of the equation, get, get the organization be most efficient as possible. Those people are great at large organizations. They're terrible in small startup companies because small startup companies is all about uh, uh, the hope and the belief and the vision uh, of where you're going next. So you, you have to be optimistic. Uh optimist. Uh, the third thing uh, is I think you have to be passionate. Uh, 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 you have to really believe what you're doing is the most important thing in the world because otherwise you're not going to attract other people to your mission. If you're not passionate, if you're not enthusiastic about it, if you're not uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, do everything you can in your life to to make it successful, no one else is going to take that leap that you're asking them to, uh, uh, to take and, and, and join your journey with you.
0: So, you know, do you you mentioned that there's a different set of skills that you see in leaders from early day startups versus you know when a company gets much larger? How do you think that changes over time? I know that I was at startup days of several companies, Oracle, EMC, and VMware, and the talent set that we needed early on was rather different than the talent set we needed once we hit a billion dollars. For an example,
1: no, yeah, I think that's an excellent point, and I think that you know when you look at startups, you need uh, uh, employees who are self-starters, you need leaders who are visionary, who are storytellers, who are inspirational, uh, and, and, and you need a certain chaos, uh, uh, uh to a start in order to be su- successful. But the problem is once you get to a certain size, and I've always thought that certain size is you know, sort of, you know, 150, 250 employees, you know, when you can no longer walk the halls and know the name of every, uh, buddy in the organization, then, you know, too much, you can have too much chaos and that can destroy the company. So that's when you have to start to layer a little bit of process, a little bit of structure uh, on the organization. And it's a different type of personality, a uh, different type of leader that's very good at at, at, at sort of uh, 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 driving structure, driving process, and keeping the trains running on time, which you know, the larger and larger you get as an organization, the more and more important that skill set is, and the less important that, that original vision, that original uh, optimism, that original sort of... Uh, uh, chaotic enthusiasm uh, is, is to the leadership of the organization.
0: You, you've had such an interesting career there at in Tell me about an accomplishment where you were a, the leader and you're proud of, and it kind of shaped your career. So
1: I'll, I'll go back to when I first joined uh, uh, uh um, We were much smaller than we are today. Uh, uh, we were only doing a, a handful of investments uh, each year, and we were only doing uh, that on behalf of a couple uh, uh, different agencies. And I was really one of the first people with a true investing background uh, to come into the organization. And one of the problems with the organization was uh, uh, deal flow as an investor, as an investment uh, firm, you're always uh, uh, trying to drive deal flow. And one of the things, one of my mentors said to me when I first got in the investment business is this is an easy business to be busy. It's a hard business to be productive there's always a deal to look at but uh, uh you have to be constantly asking yourself am i looking at the best deal or should i do the harder thing which is try and go out and source a new higher quality deal than uh due diligence on the deal that's in front of me uh uh which is sort of the, the path of least resistance and so i think i found that inkytel was doing a little bit of that it was just looking at the deals that were coming into uh, uh them on, on on sort of and reacting to them as opposed to being proactive and going out there and sourcing the best deals in the industry and, and, and talking to the best companies in the industry and figuring out if they, those deals made sense uh, uh, to become part of the incatel portfolio and drive impact and value to the agencies we uh, 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 were looking at. And so I took a page out of a couple of very successful uh, investment firms that I uh, knew how they operated, uh, 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 two companies, uh, two firms called TA Associates and Summit Partners where they had and this is back in the day I'll, I'll age myself here uh, they had people that cold called uh, companies today you would cold email them or reach out on, on LinkedIn or some other social media platform but back in the day you, you actually picked up the phone and called people <laughs> you know and you you would have to call those companies and explain who you were why you were interested in them and why they should be interested in talking to you as a potential investor all in one uh, call and so uh, 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 needed a certain skill set. Uh, uh, uh to do that and so i created a a part of the organization part of the investment team at inkitel to go out and do that that modeled uh our, our behavior after uh successful uh, investment firms like ta and, and, and summit but the interesting thing about it is when you talk to people uh, uh who try to do it one of their concerns was you know you tend to have young people do these calls and then they you know uh, uh they uh uh would hand them off to a partner to go work the deal if, if they qualified them. And there was always this friction between, you know, who sourced the deal and who worked it, you know, and we didn't have a lot of budget in the, uh, uh, tell, uh a budget to go hire a whole bunch of new people to do that. And so um, I looked around uh, uh, my peer group in Silicon Valley, and uh, I, I realized there were a number of uh, uh, very highly educated, very accomplished women that had... Uh, uh, stepped down, uh, stepped out of their career path to uh, uh, to raise children, who were looking for something to do on a part time basis, and this was uh, 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 an opportunity uh, uh, for them to come in perform this function for Ankitel, which was really a function well suited to a part time person because if you know uh, they had to stay at home because uh, uh, their child was sick or uh, whatever, it didn't uh, disrupt the the day. They just had to make a certain number of calls in a certain number of period of time. And they were uh, uh, very interested in doing so, and so I created this workforce of part-time uh, 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 women that would uh, uh, make these calls. They were uh, uh, tremendously valuable to us, and and they found a, a job situation that was tremendously uh, accommodating to the schedules that they were living. And 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 this uh, function that we drove ended up uh, 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 sourcing some of the best and most impactful deals that we did at, at InkyTel because we weren't just waiting for. Uh, companies to come to us. We were going out and pursuing them as well. So really thrilled with it and had a big impact on Inkytel and I think helped drive our brand in the market uh, such that today we have uh, co-investments with you know 10 plus deals in all the top 25 venture capital firms in the United States.
0: I'm speaking with Steve Bowser. After the break, we'll discuss leading innovation in the federal government today. You're listening to Leaders in Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legends in Legend of Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Steve Boucher, President Incutel. So, Steve, you know, it, it's got to be a tough market being in the DC market, but being a quasi government organization or, or focusing on government uh, and being a leader is even super tough world. So, tell me about, you know, Incutel and, and your role and, and how it works.
1: Well, I, I love Pinkytel. Uh, I've been here for 16 years. Uh, I plan to be here for a while longer, and didn't really think that would be the case when I, when I joined the firm. But I just love the mission because, um, you know, previous to Pinkytel, I was a traditional uh, uh, venture capitalist. You know, as a general partner in a traditional venture capital firm, and I loved the activity on a day-to-day basis of waking up each morning meeting off, entrepreneurs, listening to their ideas, listening to their business plans, and trying to think through what I thought of their market, their technology, in uh, 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 their uh, uh, team, and found that very interesting. And I get to do all that uh, uh, here in Inkytel, but now I also get to meet uh, in, uh, intelligence officers, hear about their mission, their challenges, uh, uh, and think about how we can apply technology to solve uh, uh, those problems for them. And uh, by sitting in the middle of these two distinct you know, uh, uh, groups were actually, uh, uh, pretty uniquely differentiated. There's very few organizations that understand the mission of the U S intelligence committee and understand the, uh, uh, entrepreneurial nature of, uh, uh venture-backed startup companies in their, their constraints and their, uh, uh, opportunities. And because we bring those two worlds together and help them understand each other, we're differentiated in a way that few investment firms are such that uh, uh, as I said uh, in one of my earlier comments, the, uh, uh, the top-tier venture capital firms and the top-tier entrepreneurs all want to work with us, and the you know, U.S. intelligence agencies all want to work with us. And it's great to be differentiated, and it's great to have a unique value proposition to each group that you're trying to serve, because it, when you do have that uh, unique value proposition, uh, 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 everyone wants to work with you, and it makes, things, uh, makes it a lot easier to get things done.
0: You know, for 37 years, I have focused on public sector because you can't help but fall in love with and have passion for the mission, you know, catching the bad guy, you know, giving uh, little old lady checks, teaching children. I mean, who couldn't want to be part of of helping solve those equations? What success uh, in Incatel are you most proud of?
1: You know, I think more than any one deal, I think what I'm most proud of uh, uh, is the idea that the U.S. government agencies trust us to prevent them from being surprised. Uh, commercial technology, as you know, evolves rapidly, you know, and just think about, you know, how we operate our world today uh, compared to 10 years ago, the, the prominence of the iPhone, the uh, various things you can accomplish now on one of the apps uh, uh, out there, uh, uh, to uh, uh, the way we consume media today through st- streaming, service, uh, streaming services, as opposed to over the uh, 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 air uh, broadcast networks, um, the type of technology that the U.S. intelligence community agencies uh, uh, use has changed just as rapidly. And what uh, a number of leaders of those agencies have told us over and over again is more than any one deal, the biggest value in uh, uh, brings to us is this idea that we're not going to be surprised by some new technology and how it can impact our mission either. Uh, uh, that we miss it and don't take advantage of it, or that our adversaries do find it and take advantage of it before we do. And so uh, if you think about what uh, Incutelo does as its core, it is we keep the US intelligence agencies at the cutting edge of technology, able to take advantage of every new innovation that occurs that is pertinent uh, uh, to them and prevent them from being surprised and prevent them from being overtaken by uh, uh, one of their adversaries. And the fact that uh, various leaders tell us that that's exactly what we do is what I'm probably uh, most proud of is what this organization has accomplished.
0: So you can't help but pick up a trade magazine that talks about um, some of the issues associated with China and other companies that do uh, business that are not outside outside of the continental United States, and how that has, in 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 the supply chain and other ways, have have leaked in some vulnerabilities that we may have in our nation's infrastructure. Um, what are you most proud of, uh, what that you led through at InQtel to, to find one of those aha moments?
1: Yeah, great question. So you know the, the way I would think about it is over the last five or six years, um, the primary mission of the U.S intelligence community has changed from uh, global war on terrorism to nation-state competition with China and Russia. And while commercial tech was important in uh, uh, the fight against global uh, against global terrorism, uh, it's even more important in in terms of nation state competition. And you can see that uh, uh, China is using commercial technology companies like Huawei and Tencent and Alibaba and Beijing Genomics to project power and influence geopolitical events around the world. And the U.S. government traditionally has had a very uh, um, bifurcated view of uh, uh, technology where commercial tech was commercial tech and government tech was government tech. And there was a lot lot of overlap uh, uh, between the two. But if you look at the conflict that's occurring right now in the Ukraine, you can see that uh, uh, commercial technology uh, uh, companies, apps and drone, you know, app manufacturers, drone manufacturers uh, uh, are uh, having a real impact on that conflict. and you know the thing I'm most proud of is within you know a, a short period of time after the start of that conflict, we had twenty five portfolio companies whose uh, our technology was being deployed in some form or another to help the uh, uh, Ukrainian forces in their conflict with Russia. you know and you know it's it's uh, not too often, uh, uh, in this world, I think that you end up in a conflict between right and wrong. But I, I, I do believe that the conflict in Ukraine is between right and wrong, and to be on the side of the right and, and, and the just, and, and, and be able to help the brave uh, uh, Ukrainian uh, people resist uh, uh, and, and counterattack against the uh, uh, Russian invasion. You know, and to know that we're doing our own little small part to help them uh, be successful in that fight—that makes me feel incredibly proud. And and and. and, and of the organization
0: run rightfully so how uh let's change this a little bit um let's talk about culture how does leadership and uh influence culture and and it is you know is it different depending upon the size of your organization
1: yeah i I think culture is an incredibly important thing as a leader uh, uh of an organization to always be thinking about and and if there is a common mistake I think a number of leaders make, uh, I think it is that they don't pay enough attention to the culture of the organization. Uh, and even those that do, sometimes they overcomplicate it because I think culture is at its best when it's at its uh, most simple form. And so I think uh, uh, the first thing you do as a leader in order to install a culture is the way you uh, act yourself. Everybody looks to you as the leader of the organization to take their cues from, from how to behave within the uh, uh, organization. And if you treat people in the right way, if you're honest and straightforward in your communication with them, if you show up to meetings on time, you know, and expect everybody else to show up on meetings uh, 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 on time, if you provide them the, the, the freedom to operate and, and, and be a self-starter and make mistakes and fail and hold them accountable to those mistakes and failure, but not in a uh, punishing or pejorative manner, but in a sort of, here's how you need to do better next time manner. I, I think that's the sort of, a, a, a way you install and establish and in, 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 in support culture. And, you know, I think more than anything else, culture is, uh, gets manifested in terms of employee churn, because I think employees figure out sooner rather than later when they're in an organization, what the culture of that organization is like and whether they want to be part of it or not. And, and, and so if you are creating a, a culture in which, you know, your employees are staying, staying for a long time, being proud and happy and satisfied in their employee surveys, surveys, then you've established the right culture, I think.
0: One of the biz- biggest obstacles of adopting innovative new technology is, is people and culture. Um, do you have any advice uh, addressing this kind of change? And do you have thoughts on how to lead an organization to in- influence that adoption to change? I mean, it, it has to be a key requirement for the breakthrough technologies that in invests um, invest in.
1: Absolutely, one of our biggest biggest challenges uh, in, in terms of inserting new innovative technology into the agencies we work with is not invented here at NIH. Uh, um, you know, we have uh, uh, the privilege of working with some very strong technical organizations with uh, 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 technical employees and technical workforces that have built and accomplished uh, uh, a lot of different things from a technology perspective, and a lot of the time, their natural inclination is. If we need something new, we'll just build it ourselves. And, and as an organization, one of our most important tasks is to convince uh, the agencies that we work with that, you know, there are certain things that you are really good at, uh, you should build yourself, that's, certain, that's strategic to you. But there's other uh, areas of technology that the commercial world is better than the government world, uh, 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 has developed more robust Uh, 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 more impactful technology because of the various use cases it serves in the commercial sector. And you're better off buying that and not uh, replicating it yourself by trying to uh, uh, copy it just so that you feel like you've built it exactly how you uh, uh, need to have it. So we have a lot of conversations uh, with people about it. Uh, um, At some level, the workforce understands it because they have what they sometimes refer to as the Sunday Monday problem, which is on Sundays when they're at home with their families. They use certain technologies to get to lead their life, you know, the iPhone, the, the, the iPad, you know, uh, those sorts of things that are better uh, uh, technologies than what they have sometimes at the uh, 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 workplace to, to use. So they get that in certain cases there's better commercial tech out there than they can build themselves. But understanding where and when to make those choices and how to make those choices is something we're constantly working with the government agencies on.
0: I'm speaking with Steve Boucher, president of InkyTel. After the break, we'll discuss being a leader and building a career path in venture capital. You're listening to Leaders in Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Steve Bowsher, President of Incutel. So, Steve, you've been uh, at IncuTel what since the early 2000s? So, what was your first job there?
1: At Incutel, I came in as a managing partner, uh, uh, so I was leading the investment team. Uh, uh, in that role for a number of years. Uh, We changed that title to managing general partner at one point as we were creating a little bit more hierarchy within the uh, investment team. Uh, And then uh, a few years ago, I was uh, promoted to president. Uh, There was not a president beforehand. So I I, I used to joke they just changed my title, but not really my my role. But uh, uh, I think it was to make clear to the organization as we grew bigger, that I was the number two person in the organization.
0: So, you know, you, you, it doesn't sound like you had a straight line in your career. So can you describe your career path and, and maybe even a little bit about how the focus and time horizons changed as you took on different careers about, you know, how you led and how you drove your career?
1: Sure. So, uh, it's interesting. I grew up in Washington DC with my dad working, uh, uh, 20 years for the U S government and 20 years in the private sector and sort of thought that I would do some of that myself. I was a history and government major uh, uh, in college, and I came back to Washington, DC, and I worked for a public sector consulting firm for two years. And during those two years, what I discovered was that I liked the business aspect of the consulting uh, stuff that I did more than the uh, public, service, uh, uh, public sector aspect of it. So I decided I wanted to get more into the business world. And to do that, I thought I needed to be branded more as a business person. So I went off and got my MBA. I was fortunate enough to come out to Stanford to get my MBA. And I thought I was going to be my two-year California vacation. I was going to head right back to D.C. because I love the city. I love the community. My family was there. A lot of friends there. Uh, And this was 1992. Uh, And and so I came out to uh, uh, Stanford uh, to go to business school. And that's when I was really first exposed to the startup uh, community, the startup lifestyle. And it really appealed to me because some of my frustrations about being a public sector consultant in terms of being far away from impact and feeling like what I did on a day-to-day basis didn't always, you know, matter. Uh, I discovered that when you worked for a startup company, uh, everything you did every day mattered, and you got more and more responsibility, uh, uh, as you could demonstrate that you couldn't handle it until the point that they broke you, you know, and then they stopped uh, uh, giving you more responsibility at at that point. But it was just, it was fast-paced, it was casual, it was intense, it was impactful, it was everything that I was looking for. And so I, I, I stayed out in California, I worked for three different startup companies. I like to joke: one went out of business, one got bought, and one went public, which is the three different outcomes you can have in a startup company. So I had one of each. Uh, uh, and along the way there, I certainly encountered uh, venture capitalist and what they did, and I thought their job was pretty cool. And I talked to them, and they sort of said, "And you know, uh, go out and get operating experience in an area you think we'll be interested in investing in five years from now, uh, because that's uh, uh, the type of people we we like to hire." And the short end, the short story is that's what I did, and so. Uh, uh, in 1999, uh, after working for those three startup companies, uh, there's a venture firm that was looking to expand its team. They wanted a partner who had an e-commerce background, which was the area that I had sort of uh, jumped into with those three startup companies. And they uh, brought me on board to lead their e-commerce investing in 1999. I did that job for, for eight years and had a lot of fun with it. And it's a very interesting and, and, and uh, uh, stimulating job. But when the opportunity came up to move over to InkyTel, it was an opportunity to bring both parts of my life together—the part of my life growing up in D.C. with not just my dad, but a lot of my friends' parents working for the government—and the part of, of my life since 1992 of being out in Silicon Valley and working uh, with startup companies in some form or another. So, in late 2006, I made the jump to join InkyTel and lead their investing activities. Uh, as I said, I've been there for 16 years. Uh, I love my job. I'm, I'm not not looking to leave anytime soon. And. Uh, uh, brings both, it's successfully both parts of my life together. So uh, not only do I continue to get to work with entrepreneurs and venture capitalists, but now I also get to work with intelligence officers and government uh, 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 leaders. And I come back to DC once a month where, you know, uh, my mom is still uh, living at 91 years old and I solve an IT problem for her and I move a box for her, you know, and so it's it's worked out really well and it's hard, uh, I think, to find a more uh, satisfying job than the one that I have and, and I'm just filled with that.
0: Well, I have two questions coming out of your comment what tech do you see being the hottest area you talked about, you know, go and find the most innovative technologies back in 1992. That's I uh, that was a, a, not a short time ago in, in the next few years. What do you believe the hottest technologies if a listener out there would like to start a company or, you know, follow a career path? So.
1: I think there's a couple of different areas that that I would highlight. Uh, uh, And this comes back to one of the topics we were talking about earlier, which is the role of uh, commercial technology in in nation state competition. I continue to believe that the uh, uh, United States entrepreneurial community is the best, most innovative, most uh, uh, creative, uh, fast-moving community in the world. And uh, we can out-innovate anybody else in, uh, uh, in the world. But we've outsourced the building blocks of these uh, uh, innovation in the form of uh, uh, natural uh, uh, resources and minerals to build things, in the form of energy to build things, in the form of uh, manufacturing uh, process to build things. We've outsourced all three of those things to other parts of the world. Uh, And unfortunately, those other parts of the world are often controlled by people that might wanna use their control of those resources to, to choke us in some form or another. So, you've seen what Russia tried to do with its control of natural gas uh, uh, into Europe. If you uh, uh, look at what uh, uh, China is capable of doing with uh, uh, natural resources and, and minerals, if you look at what uh, uh, China is capable of doing from a manufacturing perspective, we're vulnerable as a company in, in those areas. And I think the US government has woken up to that and is uh, doing a lot of things from a legislation uh, perspective to. Sort of reshore, if you will, uh, uh, critical supply chains. And so I think if I was an entrepreneur looking uh, uh, to start a company, I'd look in those three areas in critical resources and minerals, in manufacturing, and in next generation energy as a way to uh, um, uh, 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 start companies that could have huge impact and be hugely profitable to the, to the founders of, of those uh, companies. Uh, In particular, if you want particular areas of technology, I think robotics uh, uh, for manufacturing, I think uh, 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 on the generation side of next generation energy, uh, I continue to be very intrigued by nuclear fusion. Uh, um, I also think transmission and storage in next generation energy are also very interesting areas of of interest. And in terms of uh, uh, critical uh, resources, I think there's some interesting uh, uh, things to do around recycling of certain materials like lithium, and I think there's also interesting uh, ways to extract and, and mine certain materials uh, 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 and develop uh, use cases for new abundant materials are, are also very interesting areas. I'd layer on top of that uh, uh, all of the work that's being done in uh, generative AI right now. I think that uh, is the other area that I, I find uh, very interesting.
0: So in your earlier answer, you, you described three scenarios that may happen to a startup and having been at many startups that have um, uh, graduated or exited successfully, and, and maybe a few that wasn't so successful. Um, when it comes to leaders as startups, the biggest challenge, I think, is knowing when and how to do that next graduation or that exit. Tell us about this very important time for a leader at a startup and, and what advice you would have for them to evaluate what to do. Uh,
1: yeah. so. Um... I like to think of startups in a couple different stages. The, the first stage is, hey, we have an idea. and Now we have to go out and prove that we can build the product. Uh, 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 so the first thing you do as a company is you, you build whatever product it is, uh, technology product, that you want to sell and, 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 and you have to do it. And you take various degrees of technical risk, depending on, on the area that you're starting a your company in. Uh, but most companies can actually ultimately build what they set out to build uh, 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 on so, a you, know, you, you don't see a ton of failure uh, uh, in, in that phase. The next phase is sometimes uh, uh, the most challenging, which is then you have to prove uh, 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 that someone wants to buy it. Uh, uh, and, and not just that one person will buy it, but that enough people will buy the same version of the technology to solve the same business problem that you validated that there's a market uh, uh, for your, your company you know and, and, and so that's really you know that, that's the valley of death if you will where i think a lot of startup companies do fail is they build something but they've just missed the mark on on, on what it is that uh, the customers want or they're too expensive they can't uh, uh, deliver it at, at, at a value uh, price point that people will pay that's where i think a lot of companies fail but if you get past that second phase then you move into the third phase which is scaling the company all right now we now we've proven a market now we have to build that the the process the structure, the the infrastructure of a company, such that we can uh, 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 market, find customers and deliver this product to them at a scale and efficiency that will drive growth and profitability for the, for the organization. And that's the phase where I think as a leader, you then have to start to figure out, all right, how big can this company be? Can I be a standalone platform company where I'm going to exist for 10, 20, 30 years as an independent company and own and be either the leader of the number two company in my market, you know, uh, area, or have I what I, I built is really more of a feature or more of an add-on to some larger company? In which case, I'm going to have to make a decision when's the opportunity point to sell this company to one or more of those larger companies that can 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 uh, accelerate. Uh, uh, my growth and and make this a more valuable entity as as something that's part of a larger organization than something that's a standalone organization. That's one of the trickiest decisions to make as a leader of a startup company and one that a lot of people get get wrong. And I think that you have to, the key to being successful in that decision-making process is being brutally honest with yourself about what your true opportunity is, what your true competitive environment is, who the uh, uh, and what the end customers really want uh, 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 from your, your technology and not get hung up on the ego of being the CEO uh, on, on this idea that uh, 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 I'm the center of the world and my organization's in the center of the world and just being brutally honest with yourself about where you fit into that. And The, the more you can figure that out earlier, the better
0: you can optimize your outcome. I'm speaking with Steve Boucher, president of Incutel. After the break, Steve will share his advice for the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. And today I'm talking to Steve Bosher, president of Incutel. There are so many articles out there today about empathetic leadership. What are your thoughts about that?
1: So I think that. Back in the day, if you will, there used to be this sense that leaders had to be tough and leaders had to be firm. And that was the way that you held people accountable and drove people to perform the best, that fear was the, the, the best motivator. I think there's a lot of research uh, uh, that shows that uh, uh, while that works in the short term, over the long term, if you're not pairing that sort of accountability with uh, 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 an equal portion of positive leadership of, you know, uh uh, the carrot as well as the stick if you will that you're not going to get the best out of uh uh, your employees and 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 being empathetic uh and and being able to put yourself not in the place of being the leader but in the place of being the employee and understanding how they might be feeling or what challenges they might be going through i don't think you can be as successful a leader as possible so so i'm a big fan of empathetic uh uh, leadership i'm a big fan of uh, uh as i said earlier Generally being positive and supportive and uh, 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 a cheerleader, if you will, for the organization, but balancing that by holding everyone accountable to clear metrics and clear goals, and you know making the move if you have to make the move to replace people when they're not uh, achieving those goals. But I try and be, as I said, I try and be their best friend and their most supportive person up until the point where I don't think it's working anymore, and then you have the difficult conversation.
0: So uh, you, you, you're talking about hard decisions, and I want to take a step back, and I think there's some really hard decisions the United States needs to make right now. You said, you know, it has changed to a nation state kind of like uh, issue on, when it comes to the technology front. There's so many articles out there about China surpassing, surpassing the U.S. in technology. What are your thoughts and? And how can we continue to be competitive? You, you shared your thoughts about how, you know, yes, we are an amazing, innovative comp- uh, you know, country, but there's a difference when a, a, a country is led by a government who, who also controls those innovative companies and kind of has you know, one vision or one push to get it done. What do you think the US can do better to stimulate that here so that you know we're not in a competition anymore
1: yes so um well i'm not sure if we'll ever not be in a competition but i i do think there's some things that the u.s can do better uh first off i don't think we need to copy china and china has a uh uh, a state controlled state directed uh industrial base that uh, uh is a model that they are certainly having some degree of success with but i do think it has uh, a lot to do with the in, inhibition of innovation in china and that china for all its technical skill set for all its uh, best resources still isn't as innovative uh, uh, as the u.s is and i don't think we want to squash the innovation in the u.s by uh, copying china that being said uh, i alluded to earlier this idea that you know the u.s government traditionally has left the commercial se- tech sector alone and left it to be a free market with uh, uh, full innovation And you know the analogy i like to use is 20 30 years ago the us financial services industry firms like goldman sachs morgan stanley j p morgan you know american express those sorts of organizations they figured out that if they shared their problems with the us venture
0: capital community
1: and said hey you know we need something that does x or x y and z uh, uh, the U.S. venture capital community would fund uh, uh, some number of companies, between five or ten, typically, you know, to try and solve that problem. The, uh, those uh, U.S. financial firms would try uh, uh, the products from those different uh, companies, choose the best one, uh, 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 make that company successful, and because it was a hit-driven business, the venture capitalists would all do that over and over again, as long as you know uh, uh, the result was one or two of those companies out of five or ten that they started became successful. And the US government has never been very good about uh, 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 being honest and open with the US investment community about what its problems are, where we'd like to see new innovative products uh, 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 be developed, and be a good customer of startup companies that were attempting to solve those problems, such that one or two companies became big financial success to inspire more venture capital and more investment firms and more entrepreneurs to do it again the next time around. And that's really what I think the U.S. government needs to get better at. There's a phrase being used in the U.S. government right now called the capital stack. You know, this idea that there's all this money being uh, invested in innovation from uh, private sources in the U.S. economy, like venture capital firms and private equity firms, to public sources uh, in the research and development community like DARPA and National Science Foundation and, and, and people like that. And what we need to do as a country is figure out a way to give signal, if you will, to both the uh, uh, government uh, employees making the decisions about where to uh, apply research dollars to and give signal to the US uh, uh, private sector investment community where they're making decisions about where to put their billions of dollars of investment uh, uh, to align those two efforts in the best possible way to to build the best and most innovative companies to solve the real mission-critical problems that the United States uh, uh, as a nation face going forward. Economic security and national security are inextricably linked, you know, and it's important to us, for example, that there's a Western alternative to Huawei in the 5G area, uh, that, you know, we continue to uh, uh, develop uh, uh, companies in the biospace that are are superior to Beijing genomics. You know, it's important that the Western democratic, you know, economies Continue to produce some of the leading uh, technology companies because otherwise that becomes a way for China to project power and influence geopolitical events. And the best way to do that is to be aligned as an organization uh, uh, or as a country, if you will, between the private sector and the public sector, not uh, 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 directed by the U.S. government, but just sort of provide signal of like these are the things we're worried about. These are the things we're trying to accomplish. I think the CHIPS Act uh, uh, and the Inflation Reduction Act, two pieces of legislation that were recently passed in the last year or so, do just that, they attempt to make it clear to the private sector, this is an area of interest and importance to the US uh, as a country, and we're gonna put a lot of government dollars around microelectronics uh, uh, supply chain in the CHIPS Act case and around uh, uh, critical materials and uh, uh, the sourcing of them for uh, uh, batteries and other next generation energy. Uh, sources in the Inflation Reduction Act. And so I think those are two examples that you're going to see uh, uh, more of, of uh, actions that you're going to see more and more of going forward. that will be good for the country.
0: What's the most important lesson you learned that you wish all leaders learned early, and especially as they progress through their career?
1: You know, for me, again, I think coming out of the startup world, you're used to trying to do a lot of things yourself. And Developing the skill set and the ability to delegate, and who to delegate to, and what to delegate to—you know—was uh, 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 was a skill set I really struggled uh, as I grew as a leader over time to develop. But I think you know, as you become a more senior leader and a leader of a bigger, uh, more impactful organization, is absolutely a really important skill set uh, uh, to develop, and that's one that I, I really I struggled with for a long time because of my, you know. Or, origin or upbringing, if you will, in the startup community.
0: You've had such an amazing career. Um, what advice would you have liked to know when you're 21 or maybe you, you know, if your kids, your, your friends, children that are just starting out, what pearls of wisdom would you have for that next generation of um, particularly tech leaders?
1: You, you know, uh... One of the pieces of advice I give out is, you know, when, when you're young, I think you feel like you need, you feel this need to have everything figured out. And, and, and you really don't. You know, uh, uh, I talked to a number of people coming out of college or grad school uh, uh, and they're struggling to figure out what to do. I'm like, you know, I graduated uh, uh, from college without a job. I graduated from uh, business school without a job. You know, in both times it made my parents probably slightly uh, un- uncomfortable. But, you know, I just kept looking and trying things and trying to figure out what it is exactly I wanted to do, and, and, and I'm a big believer in your gut. You'll know it when you see it. See it, and, and and so you know don't you know I have a daughter who's a freshman and a son who's a senior in college. And I think there's a lot of pressure on kids these days to sort of know exactly what career path you want to follow, you know, and 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 follow a cookie cutter path uh, uh, towards it, uh, uh, achieving that career path. And I think it's better, you're better off trying different things and experimenting different things and being a little bit patient uh, with the sense that, hey, you know, I don't have this figured out and that's all right. And I think you'll end up in a better place down the road uh, uh, if you do that. The key though is not to let the indecision or the uncertainty paralyze you uh, 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 so that you don't try anything because even if you do go out and do a job that you don't like, You learn from every job you do, particularly in your 20s. I think about what it is you like and what it is you don't like, and it helps direct you towards the career path that's the best for you and the most rewarding for you and the most passionate for you. I think that and those career paths are the ones where you end
0: up excelling the most. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government. My guest today has been Steve Boucher. Steve, I just want to thank you for joining us today and for the year, you know, 20, almost 30 years uh, dedicated to Um, helping this nation uh, be more innovative and sharing your personal journey and some seriously um, valuable advice.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been a great conversation. It's a topic that I'm passionate about. I hope that came through in the conversation. I really hope your listeners enjoy the podcast here. So thank you.
0: I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening.
1: You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.